0: So, I want to start off by having us think about what happens when God saved you. What happened when God, through Jesus, saved you? What took place? When God saved you, He gave you a revelation, a heart revelation of Jesus Christ in His reality, in His majesty, His power, His love, His glory. And you were so gripped by the person of Jesus Christ that you wanted him more than sin, more than anything. And so you gladly turned away from your sin, everything else, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what happened when God saved you. You had this heart revelation of Jesus and you put your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you, to start to change you and to fill you and satisfy you with his presence. And the moment that you turned to trust Jesus Christ, at that instant, all of your sins, completely forgiven, past sins, present sins, future sins, they were all punished, paid for, by Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years ago. So you are innocent, guiltless, No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what's happened. And not only that, but then God pours his Holy Spirit out upon you. And the Holy Spirit, this precious gift of the Spirit, will give you times when, as you are reading the Scriptures, as you're in prayer, as you're worshiping the Lord with your brothers and sisters like here, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will give you such an overwhelming, sense of God's presence, of his love, of his faithfulness. You will be strengthened. You will be comforted. You'll be built up. That's what the precious Holy Spirit does. And also at that moment, he starts a work of changing you, overcoming the sin in your life, a work that he is going to continue all the way until you enter heaven. He will bring that about. So those are all things that God does when he saves someone. Praise God for salvation. What a glorious gift we've experienced through Jesus Christ. But there's one other thing that God does when he saves us. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. He joins us into the church. The community of believers, brothers and sisters, who love the scriptures, trust Christ, are born again, he joins us together in the church, which means he wants you to experience that in a local church like we have here. God is raising up strong local churches in Abu Dhabi. If you're called to be part of this church, we're thrilled. If he calls you to be part of another one of those churches, we're thrilled. We're all on the same team together, but he calls you to be part of some local church. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to be part of a local church? We're doing a sermon series called Church After COVID because COVID has raised lots of questions in people's minds about what it means to be part of a church. During COVID, we hardly had any face-to-face connections with each other. We did church mostly through a computer screen, remember? Remember Zoom gloom? Okay? But the problem is that made it easier for us to think that you can actually experience church without real face-to-face people. So we could think that, well, we can do church worship, just find my favorite worship team on YouTube or listen to my favorite internet preacher to get a sermon. So we could be tempted to think that we can experience church without real flesh and blood people. So now that we're pretty much through COVID, we have to ask the question, okay, but what does it mean to be part of church? Has COVID changed that? What does God say it means to be part of church? That's the question we're looking at this afternoon. Now, Here's what we've seen so far, though, in this series. Two weeks ago from John 17, we saw that to be part of church means to be joined with other brothers and sisters in a supernatural unity. That gives us such love for each other, such care for each other, overcoming all the differences and the diversities that are here so that we are in unity together and that that love will be so powerful that Abu Dhabi, the world around us, will believe that God sent Jesus when they see the beauty of our love. That's John 17. Then last week, Pastor Josh taught us from Matthew chapter 16 that what Jesus has been doing since he died and rose and ascended into heaven, what he's been doing since then is building his church. That's what Jesus Christ has been doing. His plan is to build his church, which is made up of thousands and thousands and thousands of individual local churches, made up of real flesh and blood people who meet together, love each other, care for each other. And since that's what Jesus is doing, building his church, He's calling us to join him in that by loving each other, caring for each other, serving each other, building up each other. And now this week, we want to look at another description of church life found in Hebrews chapter 10. It's an amazing passage. We're going to focus on verses 24 to 27, but to give us the context of those verses, I want to start reading in verse 19 so you can see the the overall flow of thought here. So let's read Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that means to enter into God's very presence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain Remember a few weeks ago in Luke, how the curtain split when Jesus died on the cross? The way was opened through a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, through what he did on the cross. And since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, therefore, number one, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a true heart, in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't let anything make us budge without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And number three, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Powerful passage of Scripture. Now let me give you a picture, arcing, arcs of this passage, so that you can see the flow of thought that we're looking at this afternoon. So verses 19 through 21 are saying that since we can enter the holy places through Jesus, our great high priest, therefore, number one, Verse 22, let's draw near to God with faith. And therefore, number two, verse 23, let us hold fast our hope without wavering. And therefore, and here's the part we're going to focus on tonight verses 24 to 25. Number three, let us not neglect meeting together, but instead, let's meet to encourage one another. And then the author gives us one reason why we should do that, verses 26 through 27, a sobering warning because if anyone goes on sinning deliberately without repenting it shows they are not saved that's a serious warning which we need to take to heart and we're going to we're going to come to that a little bit later we need to understand what that does mean and what that does not mean it does not mean that a saved person can lose their salvation I'll explain why not but what it does mean is very serious and must be taken heed to So there's the passage. There's the picture. I hope that helps. Tonight we're going to focus on verses 24 to 27. And these verses show us that the church that this letter was written to was facing a serious problem. So let's start there. What problem was this church facing? And the answer is in verse 24 and the first half of verse 25. Let's read those verses again. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So some in this church had gotten into the habit of not meeting together anymore. Now what would that have meant? What kind of meetings did they have in the first century church? Well, they met together on Sundays, the Lord's Day for worship, just like we do here Saturday afternoons, although we keep praying for gems, by the way, we're praying for gems on Sunday mornings, but keep keep praying for that move. But Saturday afternoons, we're doing something similar, and they also had meetings, less formal, smaller groupings, and um, maybe kind of like what we do in our home groups. So that's the kind of meetings that they had, similar, and that's why we do what we do, we're trying to follow what the early church did. Those are the meetings they had, but the problem was that recently, some of them had fallen into the habit of not meeting together with other brothers and sisters face-to-face. They just decided to stay home, maybe. Or they let other things get in the way. Or they just thought, these meetings are optional. Hun, do you want to go today? Nah, me neither. Okay, it's optional. Deciding every week. COVID has tempted many believers in the same way, hasn't it? I think we've all felt this. And it's been so easy to watch church on live stream. I mean, why go through all the hassle of getting into your car and putting on your, you know, Sunday go to meeting clothes or whatever, and then coming to a building like this? Why? I mean, it's just so easy staying home, you know? And then home group. We did a home group through Zoom. I mean, it's just, you, you have a busy day at work and you get home and, ah, do you really want to go out again? I'm mean, here you can just stay home and you can watch, watch your home group and you can have dinner, you know, while during the home groups going on, Right. I mean, all kinds of advantages to that. And now that we're not doing Zoom anymore for Home Group, it's like, wow, is it worth it? So much easier the other way. I mean, we've all felt this, right? Remember the first time it's like, we're driving to Home Group. It's been two years since we've driven to Home Group on a Tuesday night. Here we go. So many of us have felt this pull, I'm sure. So let's raise this as our second question. That's the problem this church was facing. What does the author urge them to do about that problem? Because I'll tell you, what he urges them to do about the problem is what he would urge us to do about the problem as well. Let's figure out what does he urge them to do? The answer is in verses 24 and 25. Start with verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now think about this. One reason we come to worship gatherings like this or or to home group is because of what we will receive from God. And that's a good reason to go. That's a good reason to be here. It's a good reason to be part of a home group. Because when we come together in Jesus' name, he will be there in a special way in our midst, and we will receive from God. We'll be strengthened in our faith. We'll be comforted in the different trials we're facing we'll be convicted of sin, which is a good thing. We'll be having our hope freshly built upon Christ, the solid rock, like we sang about this afternoon. When we gather together with unbelievers in this setting, in the home group setting, we will receive lavishly from the Lord. That's a good thing. We ought to pursue that. That should be part of our motivation. But that's not what the author focuses on here. Here in verse 24 we are encouraged to consider not just what we will receive as we gather, but what we can give to each other as we meet. We should consider, we should think about how can we stir others up to love God more and to be more passionate about doing good deeds. We should consider how we can give to each other by stirring them in those ways. And what this means is that God can use every one of us in this gathering here, in your home groups, God can and wants to use you in that setting to stir up your brothers and sisters so they love God more. They're more trusting in Jesus Christ. They're more passionate to see God glorified. They're more zealous to know Him, to walk with Him, to abide in Him, to trust in Him. God can use you in this setting in your home group setting, to stir your brothers and sisters to love God, love Christ more. And he can use you to stir up your brothers and sisters to be more zealous for good works. So they leave this gathering or your home group gathering, and they're passionate about, I want to I do good in my home with my family. I want to do good with my brothers and sisters. I want to do good in my workplace, in my neighborhood so that we leave these gatherings more zealous to glorify Christ by doing good for people that are around us. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, so we want to consider that. now. How how do we do that? Read verse 24 and 25 together. Let us consider how. We've got to think. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So the the way that the author focuses on here, in terms of how we stir each other up to these things, we do it by encouraging each other. Encouraging each other. So church isn't just a time for us to come and receive from God, as important as that is, and as good as that is to come for. It's also time for us to stir each other up by encouraging each other. So God's plan, our worship gatherings here Saturday afternoon, in our home groups, God's plan is to have you encourage your brothers and sisters so they leave loving God more and more zealous, more passionate about glorifying Christ by doing good deeds to people around. Saturday afternoons, that's our focus, home groups. That's our focus. Encouraging. So, how do we do that specifically? How, what does it mean to encourage? Let's ask that as our question. What can I do to encourage people to love and good deeds? I want to get real tangible here. So, we're kind of not theory, but like where the rubber meets the road, as we say. It's not answered in this passage. But notice what the author does say, verse 24, let us consider how to do this. He's calling us to think, to ponder. So all of us should be wanting to obey this command. Okay, let's take time to think about how can we encourage our brothers and sisters here at Grace Church so that at the end of our Saturday gathering, the brothers and sisters are loving God more and more passionate about good works. How can we encourage them to have that happen? How? So I thought about that this week. I just thought, okay, I'm going to consider and ponder, Lord, help me, give me some thoughts. And I came up with four thoughts. There's lots more. You'll come up with more, but here's four that I want to mention. Four ways we can encourage people to love in good deeds. One is that your presence will encourage people. Your being here, your showing up encourages people here, home group. I mean, imagine that right now, instead of all you here, there are like there's like one person over there, and maybe like one person right down here, and one person over there. Okay? And that was it. Now, God could still powerfully meet those three people through the worship, through the Word. God could powerfully meet them, right? But think of how much more encouraged they would be <laughs> if, if, if you all were here. Okay? You three, aren't you glad everybody else came? You're glad. And see, it, 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 it's significant. When you look around, you see... These people love Jesus. These people are in the scriptures. These people are fighting the fight of faith. These people are being bold for Christ in their workplace with wisdom here in Abu Dhabi, but bold with wisdom, yes. And it's encouraging. There's others around. There's others who are loving Jesus. So just showing up will encourage your brothers and sisters. It's really easy. Isn't there a phrase like 95% of anything is just showing up? Well, there's truth to that. Showing up. So you being here worshiping, receiving from the word right now, just people hear you saying, hmm, yes, yes, Lord, teach us. I mean, that's, that's great encouragement. You're being in the home group, praying for each other, studying God's word together. Your presence will encourage people. So your presence, that's one way, just being here, being at home group, will be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters. Second way, your worship will encourage people. Didn't you experience that tonight? When you hear Grace Church, you hear your brothers and sisters just praising Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. When you hear all these voices around you proclaim that, it's like, yes, that's true. Yes, Lord, take my hope out of this, put it onto you. Take my hope out of this, put it onto you. Yes, that's true. So, you hearing the people's voices around you in song strengthens you. Or, are you like looking over across the room and seeing somebody just with their head bowed in worship? Yes. Or seeing their face just beaming with joy as the Lord is meeting them. Or somebody with their hands raised just praising and acknowledging, You are my God, no other foundation but you. We encourage each other by worshiping. Your worship will encourage your brothers and sisters. You don't need a great voice. Just worship the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Your worship will encourage people. So your presence will encourage people and your worship will encourage people. I also thought of, probably what I'll think of this, but your love will encourage people. Your love. See, I don't think any of us knows how God could use your simple compassion to impact somebody who's here this afternoon or at home group. You don't know how it might impact someone to see you afterwards, maybe we're at out, out, the outside area, but just seeing you come up put your arm around somebody and comfort them, just To have somebody else see you do that could powerfully touch their hearts, or to have your comforting arm be put around them as they share whatever struggles or difficulties they're going through. You don't know how powerfully God could use that to encourage them. Or just how much somebody might be strengthened as you ask them how their week went. Just that simple gesture of compassion, care, concern. Your love will encourage people. So if if you aren't here, like afterwards there's are mingling out there and you're not there to to talk to people, there won't be as much encouragement going on if you're not here. Your absence means there will be less encouragement taking place here in this this body of Christ. If you aren't at home group, there won't be as much encouragement taking place because your, your love will encourage people. Fourth way, your words will encourage people. We can all understand how that works. I mean, think about the time after home group's over and you're, you know, chit-chatting or outside here, Saturday worship, you you going up to somebody new and introducing yourself could change their life. It could. Oh, people are lonely. People are so lonely. And you're taking that step, take some boldness, scary thing, meet somebody new, could change their life. You asking someone, um, how's your week been? This beautiful care concern could strengthen them. You maybe sharing a promise from God's word with someone as you're talking. I mean, that could be the, the anchor that carries them through this next week as they're going through some suffering or some trials. Or you sharing with somebody how faithful Christ has been to you this last week. Maybe they are feeling like they are at the very end of their rope in terms of battling some area of temptation. They're ready just to let go and give in and, oh, God's been faithful to me. He met me this week. And that may be the the very words that that keep them fighting the fight, keep them on the road. Your words will encourage people. (laughs) I hope you see what's being communicated in this passage. The author is saying something that's very profound and very important and very Neglected too often. He's teaching that you, each of you, has a crucial role in what happens in the church. It's not just Anish, the worship team, whoever's preaching, God uses those, yes. But you also have a crucial role in what happens, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this body or in your home group. A crucial role whenever we gather if we aren't here less encouragement will happen think about what paul says in 1 corinthians 12 through 14 that the church is like the physical body you've all studied that passage i'm i'm assuming right one body many different parts each part is absolutely crucial just this is it's us so one body every single part is crucial for the proper functioning of the body so like, what would happen if your if like right foot decided tomorrow, I'm just going to take the day off. You go ahead. You'd notice, wouldn't you? You'd absolutely notice. You would not be able to function as well without your right foot. And you, as an individual member of the body of Christ, are as crucial to what God is doing here at Grace Church Saturdays and in your home group as your right foot is to you tomorrow morning that crucial, that important. Don't believe Satan's lie that the worship gathering will be the same whether you are here or not. Now, there's always times where you, you got to miss, right? That, that happens. Right? Don't make this a legalistic thing. You're sick, you're out of town, whatever. There are things that come up, and God, God will take care of us, okay? when you're not, Don't worry too much. He'll take care of us at those times. But understand the importance that You are missed, and that not as much will happen here without you being here. So don't believe Satan's lie that it'll be the same, that it makes no difference to your home group whether you're there or not. It makes a difference. Don't develop the habit of not meeting together. Don't let that happen. Instead, understand God will not only meet you powerfully as we gather, but he will meet others powerfully through you in crucial, important ways. Now, there's another crucial truth in this passage. It's the warning that I mentioned to you earlier. Let's ask, why is it so important that we encourage each other? It's going to take time. It's going to cost energy, right? It will. It'll be costly. But why is it so important? And look at what we read at the end of verse 25. Start there. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we should be encouraging each other all the more as the day draws near. So what is this day that we're seeing draw near? Well, throughout the New Testament, when the phrase the day is used, most of the time it's referring to the The day of the Lord, when Jesus Christ will return to earth, the second coming, when he will bring all of world history to a close and bring in the final judgment and eternity with the destinies of either hell or, or heaven. That's the day. That day is approaching. And so the author is saying that we should be encouraging each other and all the more when we are aware of the reality of the day that is coming. This is coming. Every one of us will be there. That's what motivates us. Now, how does the day motivate us? I think the answer is in verses 26 and 27. For, which means because or since, in other words, here's the reason. If we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Do you feel the seriousness of this warning? The author wants us to read this slowly and carefully and let it impact us. If we go on sinning, Deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of Jesus, there will be no sacrifice for our sins, but only the fire of God's judgments. What does it mean to sin deliberately? Let's make sure we're clear on that. It means continuing in something that we know is sin, continuing in it with no confession, no repentance. Just continuing in it. It means, it means that we know something is sin, and we want that sin more than we want Jesus. Thank you. I want the sin. I love the sin. And if we do that with no change, with no confession, with no repentance, then that would show that our faith is not genuine faith. You can't trust Jesus while. Going in that direction. You're not trusting him if you go in that direction. By definition. If you continue. Now again, we've all sinned today, right? Yes. I have. You have. So how can you tell if you're sinning deliberately? Well, have you confessed it? Have you cried out to Jesus and said, forgive me? Have you fought it? Then you're not sinning deliberately. Okay? You don't have a fearful expectation of judgment. But if you're clinging to an area of sin and you're not letting go of it, if you're continuing in something that you know is sin, then brother, sister, you can't be sure you're saved. You can't be sure. You, you may be, and, and you'll know because you'll turn back as soon as possible. But you can't be sure. You can't put your head on your pillow tonight knowing that if you die, you'll go to heaven. Friends, please take this warning seriously. I need to take this warning seriously. We all need to take this warning seriously. Now, if that warning is true, and it is, then how can the Bible teach that no one can lose their salvation? How can the Bible teach that? That every saved person will end up in heaven. That is what the Bible teaches Every saved person will end up in heaven. Not one will be lost. Beautiful. And let me just give you one verse in case you weren't sure about that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Memorize this verse. So encouraging. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he began the work of salvation in you, he who began that good work in you Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. He will bring that work to completion. He will or the song we sing, He will hold me fast. When I enter heaven, it's going to be because Jesus held me fast the whole way, not because I was so strong to hold to him. I was like, and he's holding me and causing me to turn back and repent and causing me to confess. He will continue the good work that he has started, Philippians 1.6. God will bring every saved person to heaven. Now here's the question. How does he do that? How? Here's an illustration I heard from somebody else, but I found it very helpful. The road to heaven is like a road up, a, up to a beautiful mountain peak. And that road is, is a windy road, and there are some steep drop-offs, some of those hairpin turns with steep, steep drop-offs. And if anybody goes off at that point, the fire of judgment. I mean, you'll be destroyed. But God promises that everyone He starts on that road will make it all the way up to the top of that road. Philippians 1.6. God promises that. How does He promise that? By doing three things for us. Learn these. Love these. These are beautiful. First, first, He puts, in his love, he puts warning signs at those hairpin turns. Warning! If you go past this point, there's no return. You'll face judgment. So Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 is one of those warning signs. He puts them in the Bible at all these crucial junctures. So God puts warning signs at these drop-offs. That's one way he keeps us on the road. A second way Is that when he saves us, he changes our hearts. So we pay attention to those warning signs. We don't say, oh, who cares about that sign? No, no, no. he saved you. Your heart has changed. You'll say, whoa, what does that say? If you go past this point, you're going to face destruction. Yikes. Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to get up there. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. I'm going to confess. I'm going to pull back this way. See, being a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means you will turn back before you go over the edge. God will do that. Now listen, if you're saying to yourself, oh, there's an edge. How much farther can I go before the edge? Listen, if, that, if that's your heart, if you love that sin so much, you just want a little bit more of that, um, oh, I would just encourage you to do business with the Lord. Lord you and him, and, and see who Jesus is. Why on earth would you turn from a 10 billion Durham reward of knowing Jesus for like a, a, a one, one Durham moment of pleasure? Why would you do that? So I don't know where the edge is, and you don't know where the edge is, but the sign is there. Turn now, and because God saved you, you will turn. That's how you can know you've been saved, because you'll turn. Does that make sense? I hope so. It's very important. So he puts warning signs at those drop-offs. He changes our hearts so we pay attention to those warning signs. That's not all that God does, though. Third, God calls every believer to be part of a church where they will be encouraged by their brothers and sisters to keep following Christ and to confess their sin and to keep fighting the fight, and to keep battling temptation. Every believer, God's intention is that they will have friends, brothers and sisters, who will encourage them. Listen, Jesus is better than sin. Sin has never satisfied you. Jesus is better than sin. He's going to help you fight sin. He will strengthen you to fight sin, so keep resisting. You have brothers and sisters around you who are encouraging you, loving you, speaking the truth to you. And it's that last point that Hebrews wants us to understand in this passage. One reason we gather together to encourage each other is because God will use our encouragement to keep our brothers and sisters on the road to heaven. God will use your encouragement to keep your brothers and sisters on the road to heaven. Your brothers and sisters need your presence, your worship, your love, and your words to be encouraged and strengthened to stay on the road. See, your presence at home group this week could be what God uses to turn someone back from heading towards that steep drop-off. Your worship next Saturday afternoon could be what God uses to strengthen someone who's going through a severe trial who's brokenhearted, who's struggling. And your, your simple presence, your worship, as they see you, as they hear you, as your, your voice is one of many, just praising God for his faithfulness, that could be what God uses to strengthen them. And, and your love and your words after our gathering tonight could be what God uses to wake someone up to an area of sin that they're pursuing so that they turn and come back into the arms of Jesus. Grace Church, do you you see the importance of this? We don't just fellowship together because we enjoy having friends. We fellowship together because we want our friends in heaven. Can't lose your salvation. This is one of the ways God keeps us, brothers and sisters, encouraging each other. That's why a habit of missing church is so serious and dangerous. That's why we must not neglect gathering together. Eternity is at stake. And that's why it's so important that we meet together so we can encourage each other and be used by God to keep each other on the road to glory. That day is coming. Let's keep each other on the road. And we'll have a big old celebration at the end with our Savior. Let's stand. We praise you, Lord, that in your love you put these warning signs up and you give us such clear teaching from the scriptures. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all the fellowship and the love and the encouragement that you've put into Grace Church. I praise you for how you've graced us with that, and I pray for even more. I pray for any, Lord, who maybe are slipping into a habit of not, gathering. I pray that tonight they would see the error of that and that they would respond and say, help me. I want to do better. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you help us. Thank you that you love us. And thank you that you will help us do all these things you've called us to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.